Thank you again for finding a parking spot awkwardly today. You got to love it. That's all part of the benefit we have meeting in a publicly used environment and introducing people to open life that are here as guests from all across the state, I guess. So uh, pretty fun. If anybody wants to practice karate, I think you can over in the gym afterwards. So we'll, we'll direct you. No, it's all good. Hey, we are in week two of uh, a series called Number Sign Jesus. No, just kidding. We introduced it last week, this concept of hashtag. And for those of you who uh, don't use Twitter or uh, social media or whatever, here's just a little note. Like this morning at 9.15, we did shoot out a tweet uh, at Open Life Church, and as well, I shot out a tweet about our parking debacle and that we would start 10 minutes late. Who saw that? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. We have some. So that is really, honestly, the fastest way for us to communicate something. You can get it via text if you don't have like a smartphone, and uh, somebody can teach you how to do that afterwards. I, I don't have time right now. But it's kind of fun to... Um, uh, be able to get instant communication out there. Actually, we communicated on the city platform. Uh, we communicated via Twitter on multiple platforms as well. So just uh, make sure that you're somewhere checking those things. We would do the same if we had a snow day. But after yesterday, are we ever going to get one of those this year? I don't think so because um, it was beautiful the last couple of days. Um, last week, we talked about Jesus being love. Enough said, right? I mean, uh, the ultimate expression of love to us. And uh, this week, we're going to jump into this, this reality of Jesus being fully man, but fully God. And like, what is the impact for us with that reality? So I want to un- unpack this a bit. I remember June 6th of 1993, I made a decision uh, to follow Jesus. Like, in your connection card, there's little boxes, like, I, want, I have questions about this talk, you know, a uh, place for notes, like, this pastor's weird. Uh, there's stuff that you could just write on there. But there's this box that says, I choose to follow Jesus. And what's the significance of that for us? What does that mean? And, and so, um, we, you know, that day, I actually didn't check a box. And in the particular environment that I was in, I was in, like, this convention and at the Delta Center, is what it was called then, in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I made my way uh, forward because they said, if you want to choose to follow Jesus, come down here. And so it was this big coliseum, this huge stage. And, and, and I went down, and I was, uh, I was crying, and I didn't know why. And I was trying to make sense of this experience. And, and I'll, I'll never forget that, like, I, I made a choice that day, but I, and, and I sensed a difference. Like, in my life, it seemed like the grass was greener. And that's saying a lot in Utah. Everything's brown. So I'm just, you know, the sky was bluer more so. But I walked out, and I was just, I felt a difference. I sensed a difference. My, I even had instant behaviors that are, were different. I was a very much so an alcoholic. And, and, and I definitely was able to just cold turkey after that moment. And uh, so I walked out, and I, like, uh, I didn't quite, though, have this depth of understanding of, of the choice I made. I, um, 
You know, it says in, in a passage in Romans that we confess with our mouths and then we believe in our heart. And that's definitely the process I went through. I confess with my mouth Jesus was Lord that day. But it wasn't until Easter of that year that I grasped the depth of the price and risk God took to forgive me of my sins. Like it was massive. This whole Easter season is this intense deal. And back in that day, 1993, they came out with a movie. And the movie was uh, called The Matthew Film. Anybody watch that? It was word for word, the New International Version translation of the Bible uh, of Matthew with lots of silence. Like it's a sleeper, honestly. But I was glued to this thing when it came out, and it was hours long, hours long. And uh, people made fun of the movie because they called that Jesus the happy Jesus. He was just smiling the whole time, you know. It's like, it's like demon-possessed people were coming at him, and he was just like, <laughs> Jesus. you know, it was just, a, in my name, heal you. You know, it was kind of weird. But the, so people made fun of it, but to me, it did show more of what I didn't comprehend about my relationship with Jesus. This is months later, almost a year later, and I remember just bawling when I watched the crucifixion. It was years later when Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, came out, and I remember sitting in a theater watching this whole Easter message in brutal, accurate depiction, minus like the little awkward Satan character in the background. You know, it's kind of odd, bald chick. But anyway, so the... um, that, you know, but the, like just the brutality of the price Jesus paid. And I remember being just speechless and walking out to my car and having nobody talk to each other in the theater. And it's just like, I mean, we were all just thinking of the reality of what Jesus did for us. Whether we had had a relationship with Jesus or not, it made you think, right? And... Um, this intensity of this reality, I, I just want to challenge us to kind of this Easter really consider all that God did for us. Because sometimes it takes a long time to sink in. God became man. I mean, Jesus and the reality of Jesus being fully God and fully man is loaded with promises that we have to unpack to further our understanding so we understand the why behind this whole relationship with God, Right? And then the gift of Jesus, we have the opportunity through faith to embrace. It's just intense. So, so let's dive in because I honestly, and the, the references are down at the bottom, I have a ton of Scripture and some of it's lengthy, but I really feel it's important we dive in and grab a hold of this today. So Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, says, He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Man, I could preach for weeks just from that section, but let's continue. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, right? Not enemies in reality, but enemies in your mind. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul's the author of this passage. Turn to somebody next to you and say, free from accusation. Free from accusation. That's just a deep thought, isn't it? Our self-talk accuses us and, and God doesn't. It's in our mind that we're in a battle because God's love is extended to us, right? He's not sitting here going, man, I wish that was a mistake, dude. You know, it's not happening. He looks at us and thinks, they're fearfully and wonderfully made. I am, oh, this is good. You're good in his sight. So what do we do with this insight into humanity and deity colliding, becoming one? What significance does it make for you and me this week, like today, tomorrow, in the way we, we live, we lead, we dialogue, we teach, we train, we, we commute the way we pray? How do we keep from missing this? Because they missed it in the day of Jesus. Tons of people missed it. I mean, how much easier should it be for us just to miss the reality that Jesus was fully man but fully God and the impact that that and promises that has for us? We could, we could miss this promise of peace, this first promise that we were just shown there. He made peace through his blood shed on the cross. How how can we keep from missing the other promises? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to determine the need for our spending time in the Bible because really everything is revealed through that and through the lens of Scripture we can make sense of humanity given that it was created through Christ, right? God and Jesus, it says we in Genesis created all things. Listen to how this went down in the days of Jesus. I love the book of John. So John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Scripture's probably pretty important, right? He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This is John the Baptist speaking of. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man. So we're in this, right? He was coming into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made 
through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human dissension or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh. So the Word was God, right? Now the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, this was He who whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And everybody, just like us now, going, before he, what, and then you're not he, but he's he. Okay, got it, right? So here we are. This is the one that John had been speaking of. Verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Has made him known. Now, maybe some of you saw that on the History Channel, or maybe you got a little notification from your version Bible app on your phone to tell you that on the History Channel last weekend and, and this weekend and every Sunday until uh, through Easter, actually, there's a new depiction of some of these uh, uh, instances in the Bible. And as this depicts, you know, Moses was given the law, and, and the law convicted and actually introduced sin into the world. Like, the original sin happened back in Genesis, but this kind of introduced the law so that you could try to overcome sin. But we couldn't. We figured out over the course of generations, sin couldn't be overcome. And God foreknew that, and so he sent his son to once and for all introduce grace and truth of forgiveness from sin. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy to think. And, and they, so Moses, the big Mo was on it last weekend, if you didn't get a chance to go on the History Channel. It's on at like 5 and, and 8 o'clock, I think, on Sundays. You should check that out. It's, it's pretty detailed and graphic and stuff, but it's all good. Uh, they, um, I, I, the Bible's not like rated G and fluffy. You know, it's not a princess movie. But, um, they, uh, but did you catch in, in this passage in John 8, did you catch that the darkness prevented many from discovering the reality that this was God made in flesh? Like they were blinded by darkness. We kind of sang about that earlier. Just the reality that sometimes like even spiritually, we don't realize we're in darkness. We think all is well, but we're missing stuff. We're like blind to things that, that have been created and exist to be a blessing to us, uh, filled, with, filled with blessing, one blessing after another, it says here. And so the second promise I want to look at, so the first is peace. The second is the promise of light, the promise of light. The encounter with grace and truth was missed by so many. How do we keep from this happening to us? And how do we keep from it happening to our friends? How do we keep from it happening to our family? How do we influence people around us to see the light? Not us, but see the light through us, Jesus. 
Matthew 5, 14 speaks of it in this way. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Speaking of those who follow Jesus. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Knowing Jesus is God will not save the world around you, just you knowing it. In fact, you can see that knowledge over the course of time puffs up, if not exercised. Kind of like eating, right? (laughs) Eating, I've experienced that. Eating puffs us up if we're not active in doing something about that puffing scenario that so often occurs. Don't look at people around you. I saw that. I saw some takes to the left and right. I'm just kidding. Okay, here we go. Um, so we got we to realize that knowing God alone isn't going to help. We need to begin to do good out of that knowledge, become active in our faith so that then we're that expression of the light, which is Jesus. And knowing that Jesus is God should give us the courage to be the light. As you live life open, being a light, you'll see God bring you across the path of those individuals who who need to see. They're living in darkness. And I just refreshed the challenge to our staff this week, actually, uh, about the value of knowing people's names. And um, even in inside the community and not just at church when you walk through the door to try to get your name and introduce ourselves, but like, you know, that the reality that discipleship begins with an introduction. When we come across someone's path, we're held responsible for the relationship we've begun with that individual, whatever it is. They're not a project. It's just a relationship that we have the opportunity for. But so often we're fumbling through our or wallets, or purses, or whatever, we don't even notice the person who has a name badge on in front of us, to even refer to them by name. And so I said to our team, challenged them, created a little Google Doc form, and said, here's a, here's a challenge. Let, let's, let's pay attention a little more, and let's just record the names of those we come across in community, pray for them, and get to know them. Not as easy as it sounds, because you just don't, unless you're thinking of trying to do it. You know, I don't like going through the drive-thru, oftentimes because I don't have the kids in my car. <laughs> Those who have kids in their car are like, I love the drive-thru. But, you know, I like to go in to see, like, what might happen. Not that, like, I'm anything special, but there may be an opportunity. And, uh, and, and, and to interact with somebody by name. So this week, from Tuesday till now, I actually met a lot of stinking people <laughs> that uh, did, a, did a graveside service and a, and a celebration of life. I met more people there than I could even record. And then um, uh, met a bunch of people in community at some different gatherings and stuff. And so, But I was able to record and know and pray for 10 new people in, in just like a few days. It's not even a seven-day-old challenge. 
But I never would have done that if I wasn't thinking, I'm held responsible for this introduction. This is now the next time I see Don, one of the, the people's names that I wrote down, I've got to like thank him and pray for him and, and, and know him by name. Next time I go into Safeway, I need to know that teller that was there who helped me, who's trying to not eat cheese and lose weight. So not only was I getting their name, but I was thinking, like, what are the qualities of this person? That What's going to help me remember? And uh, uh, it was funny because I was on a honeydew errand for those guys that are in here. There was a bunch of cheese on sale, and it was like, buy one, get one free, so it was a good price. And so I bought, like, what would have been $75 worth of cheese. It was really awkward looking. And, uh, and so she's kind of looking at me going, cooking something, huh? I was like, yeah, and it's really cheesy, you know. And so I, but, you know, we started this dialogue, and she started explaining how she's trying to get healthy. And so it just helped the process, right? But we're, we have these interactions, but we just kind of, people ask, how you doing? And you're like, good. And there's this opportunity we miss, right? What if we just barely slow down? What could be the opportunity? What if we spend a little more time in our front yards and can have a dialogue with our neighbors? Do we know our neighbors? What could God do? We're brainstorming as a, as a team. What does it look like to shift the model of our groups at Open Life instead of being like activity-based and stuff? What, what if we start really being what we would call missional in our neighborhoods and have neighborhoods? Hood or regional like groups. And this online community James mentioned earlier called the city allows us to really know is there a group like right here with these people I'm living next to? And how would this walk itself out? I love the promise of light and the challenge it introduces us because there should be genuine shining of life through us. We should be a light wherever we are. And when you live as a light, you cannot be hidden. God will illuminate you. This whole theme that started there in John 1 makes its way to John 8. So I mentioned there's a lot of Scripture. Here we go. We're jumping into further passages because there's another promise that we need to really grab a hold of, actually two in this section of John 8. It says in verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So it's echoed here, and we continue. Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony's not valid. And Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right. It sounds like your husband, doesn't it, wives? It's like, here's the deal. I'm trying not to, but if I just know I'm right. And uh, anyway, I'm just kidding. Kind of. It happens sometimes just lose the battle every once in a while. It'll get you points. So uh, it says, verse 16 again, if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with my Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written, because he's talking to the religious people, they know the law. 
because the Old Testament is what that means, that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where's your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one that I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. So did you catch the promises here? Here we go. Let's unpack this. The promise of life, eternal life, by believing in Jesus, right? And these religious leaders were so caught up in their knowledge, they couldn't, their knowledge of religious law had become the blinder. It had become the darkness. Religion had become the darkness. That's painful because it happens today. And the things that happen in the name of Christ sometimes in our world crush me. Probably that's what I would weep about the most in prayer is the things that I see someone doing in a representation of God. And you're like, no, no, no. Jesus was bold, though. He was just like, you're straight going to hell. You know, it's awesome. And, uh, but he's like, but if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to die in your sin, believe me. And, and that was a tough thing to swallow. If Jesus was not God, he would still be dead in the grave, and we would still be dead in our sins. This is huge. Instead, we've been given life through the belief we place in Jesus. Jesus is the real deal. But is your belief and relationship in Him, or is it in your religious ideas? There's a big difference. Is it in the religion of your parents? Is it in the religion of your grandparents? Or have you opened up this Bible? Have you clicked it, scrolled through it, highlighted it, selected it, or used a physical book? I'm just kidding. You know, is it like, have you dug into the Scripture to discover the promises? We have to read it regularly, allowing it to sink in and become life that's truly enjoyable as we put our faith in Jesus, not our concept of Him. And we only discover and unpack Jesus through opportunities like this and, and personally growing in our relationship with Him. Fourth promise the promise of freedom. And we're going to continue in John 8 to look at the rest of this. Verse 25 says, Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, 
then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To Jews who, or to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, and, and we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You are free indeed, and free from what? Sin. Separation from the ultimate relationship is what sin causes, this relationship with God that we have the opportunity to grow in. Do you ever see the guy who's like, they're always hanging around with the coolest people on the planet, you know? It's just like, man, every time this guy... Now, now me, I follow different people on Twitter and it's mind-blowing who they have a relationship with, you know. And uh, I have a friend who wrote this book called Jesus Is. And his name is Judah Smith. He pastors a church up in Kirkland. But it was funny because somebody really famous in the pop culture tweeted about this book, Justin Bieber. So Justin Bieber tweets that thanks... Uh, thankful that my pastor's book is coming out because Judah does a Bible study down in L.A. with a bunch of guys. And, and uh, all of a sudden, Judah's on all the news agencies. And they're interviewing him and saying, tell us, like, are you proud of Justin? Because sometimes we're catching him doing some stuff that we think you might not be proud of. You know, and they're like, so talk. And he's like, I don't think I'm going to read his dirt on public television. You know, so it's just interesting, this relationship. And I saw a couple days ago... Uh, that um, a really good basketball player that Seattle Sonics recruited was reading this book and tweeting about it with 3.1 million followers. And all these people are reading these scriptures, and it's intense. And it's, it, it's, this book points towards what we're, very thing we're preaching about. But here's the deal. Like, they're hanging around all these cool people with this cool Jesus. And I just, I, I'm challenged by like the reality of what the relationship of man and God ended up being like right at the beginning of time. Like our, our design was that we would hang out with God. Like we would be the cool people. Where I'm watching Judah and I'm being amazed by the hashtags uh, and, and the ats that are following and tweeting about his book. Like God would be hashtagging about his walks with us in the garden in the beginning. So Adam and, and God would walk in the cool of day. They would chill. They would hang out. OMG. <laughs> it was like that's what they did. They hung out in the cool of day. That would have been the coolest person to like retweet you. Had fun in the garden today, retweeted by God. You might be able to follow God on Twitter, but I'm not sure I'd believe everything you read. I'm just saying. Uh, he probably is on there. But... Uh, 
I, I just look at this and I go, man, we're supposed to have this close relationship free from sin. The relationship's not supposed to be divided, but it was divided through sin. And the only thing that's going to bring that divide back together is following the light, following Jesus. Fifth promise we have is forgiveness. Luke 5, 20 through 25 says, when Jesus saw the faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. This is the instance where a paralytic was brought to him on a, on a mat and lowered down before him, and he's like, wow, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, again, the religious people, blinded by religion, and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they kind of knew what was happening, right? <laughs> who can forgive sins but God alone? Hello, look in front of you, Right? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. At that time... Of his earthly ministry and life, Jesus forgave sins in person. Now we have the ability through faith to receive forgiveness in our earthly life. But not like Jesus isn't necessarily here in person. Look at Acts. It says in Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The promises are great. But how do we know Jesus was really God? Like, seriously? Like, okay. So there's some awesome promises about Jesus, but if Jesus isn't God, those promises are void, correct? So let me rattle off four more things, and I'll let you go. I know we started a little late, so I'm going a little long, just five minutes. Here we go. God with us. We need to comprehend that God with us is a reality. Look at this. Isaiah 7, 14. There's always an Old Testament prophecy and then a, a lived-out experience through the life of Jesus. It says in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This word Emmanuel literally means God with us. So, so there's going to be this instance at some point in time, right? A virgin will give birth to a child and and, and they'll name him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Well, look what happens in Matthew one twenty three, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the message from the angel to Joseph and Mary. This instance of prophetic past comes colliding with reality because God was coming to live among us. God with us. It was prophesied and confirmed that Jesus was God with us. Second reality that points to the, the truth that Jesus is God 
He was referred to as the son of man. So number two, son of man. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, here's, here's another vision, right? In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Uh, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Mark 14. Now, so that's an Old Testament vision. Here's the life of Christ's reality. Mark 14. Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. This is when he was being persecuted before the cross. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am said Jesus. And you will see that the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus himself claimed to be the Son of Man. Third truth that points to Jesus being fully God was he was worshiped. Something only attributed to deity and Literally, you were put to death if you tried to pretend that you were a deity in this day. They would have stoned you to death, especially like when he was teaching right next to where the collection was given and, and different passages we've read already today. But Matthew 2, 11 says this, on, the, uh, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down. This is like the, the, the wise men. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and of myrrh. Matthew 14, 32, 33 says this, that they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus not only was worshipped at birth, when he had no control over whether they did or did not worship him. He was worshiped when he was a 30-year-old adult, and he accepted that worship and should have been penalized to death had he not been God. When we open the doors on Sunday, no matter what side of the school we enter on, um, we have the chance to come and worship God. We have the chance to come and, and celebrate what he's done or bring our worries before him and just say, thanks, God, for being all-powerful still. And grow in a relationship with Him. And the only reason that's okay is because Jesus was God. He's the one who opened the door for us to have this opportunity. Final promise or final truth that shows that Jesus is deity. And you can study these passages on your own if you choose. I encourage you to, actually. It's life-giving. But John 8, again, says this. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am at this, they picked up stones to stone him. So this, is pretty, this was pretty important to him, right? At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. In the Old Testament, there's a moment where Moses was going and the plagues were happening and there's some, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. And he was like, who do I tell him sent me? Moses asked God. And he says, tell them I am sent you. Now, the religious rulers of the day when Jesus was teaching this absolutely 100% knew that when Jesus said, I am, 
Like he was saying, I'm God. And they were going to kill him. But God allowed him to slip away in that instant. It says in John 10, 30 through 33, I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Some would say Jesus was a great prophet. Jesus was a good man. That wasn't Jesus' claim. If he was a prophet, he was a false prophet. Jesus' claim was, I am God. I'm the Son of God. I don't do anything without God. We are one in the same. God made flesh. It's how much God loves us. He came for us. He gave up his life for us. He considered himself of no reputation, it says in Philippians 2, 4, being in very nature God, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This was Jesus. And the challenge for you and I is, what are we going to do with this? Because the reality is, Jesus is God. He rose from the grave, and we're going to be talking about that up through Easter. And he, he, he proved it, but we still wrestle with it. How are we going to deal with this message? My suggestion is do what I did. Confess Jesus is Lord. Choose to follow Jesus and build upon that foundation of belief by reading the Bible every day. Open it up. If you download that YouVersion app on your phone or whatever, it's so easy. There's no excuse for us because they'll give you like a verse of the day right there. You can be exposed to the life-giving light of the Scripture and the depth of understanding we can get in Scripture anywhere you're at now. You can be emailed or texted daily verses. There's so much exposure to Scripture. We have the chance to like for it to come alive in like video now or audible or you can listen to it, read it. We just need to take the time and prioritize getting to know God. And he gave us everything we need to do it. I challenge you. Get to know God not only for yourself. Get to know God because he's desiring for you to be a light to those around you. Today as you exit, you'll be handed 10 invites to our Easter gathering. We call it Easter in Bonnie Lake and the printer printed about 6,000 extras. You can take more than 10 if you want, like 1,000. Anyway, uh, but the, there's, there's, there's a ton of them. And I just, let's put our faith in Jesus. And let's begin to be a light to those around us. God, thank you for your word and the challenge that you give us to follow you. And I just pray that we would step out and be those who would follow Jesus in our community. Give light to those around us. And in the moment that we sing this song, that, that people would ponder within themselves, where are they at in this line of faith in life, if you would? Have they made a confession yet of you as Jesus? Or are they still in that process of yet to believe? 
Are they wrestling with your reality, Jesus, that you are God and that they should put their faith in you? Or maybe they're just in the place of having faith in you and need to grow in belief. God, would you come and help us along the journey? I thank you that we get to be a part of that in this community, connecting with people, serving people, sharing this story. We give you praise for what you did for us. Why don't you just think on your response today as we sing?